I'm Michael Foster. And I'm Non Tennant, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. What are we talking about this time, Non? We are discussing white knights and biblical rhetoric with our friend Adam Robles. Adam, we are glad to have you on the podcast. I've been following your work for a, a long time. I mean, it's, it's a, at least at two years now. So much has happened yeah. in the last couple of years. It just feels like forever, right? You know? Yeah. I don't know who told me about you. It might have been Michael Griffin. Do you know Michael Griffin? Yeah, uh, yeah I know who he is, but I don't know him very well. I think he, he might have turned me on to your stuff. And you only had like yeah. a, you know, I don't even think he had 200 subscribers yet on YouTube. And I went and yeah. checked it out. And I was like, man, this content's way better than everything I'm producing. And I started listening. And I was uh, a teaching elder in the PCA at the time. And I was much more concerned. My lane's kind of been feminism, egalitarianism. But I couldn't deny that the social justice stuff was like starting to really boil over and I hadn't put a ton of research into it. It was just naturally stupid to me. Like I was like, <laughs> you know, like I don't like that's dumb. That's not real. That's weird. These are white people yep. that have never had black friends. You can just tell because I, I grew up in a biracial uh, culture my entire life. I, my closest friends were black. I'd always have white friends that would say, oh, so you have a black friend that means you're not racist? And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> that's what that means. It's exactly <laughs> what it means. You know, like I think he's equal. I'll trust him with my children. That means right. I'm not racist. <laughs> I, I accept his <laughs> correction. I think he's wise. Yeah, yeah. He's the best man on my wedding. And I trust right. him. You know, normal stuff <laughs> yeah right and I, at the time two two and a half years ago maybe even three uh, i was underestimating critical race theory and yeah. it's clear that egalitarianism and critical race theory are um two streams from the same poisonous fount right they're right. not they're not that different but you've really spent the last couple of years drilling down into that topic. And so I, I guess, tell us a little bit about how you got into this, about some of the, the subject matter you focus on and, and yeah. why. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I just looked it up and I, I did my very first video on November 12th, 2017. So it's been three years just about. <clears throat> and, um, you know, and I didn't seek, I didn't set out to become like a YouTuber or a content producer. The reason why I did it um, was because I just had friends in my circles um, uh, that were um, using their platforms. I, I had some friends that were in kind of like the evangelical elite circles-ish, you know, maybe C-listers, D-listers kind of thing, you might say. Um, they were using their, their platforms and their influence to say all kinds of crazy stuff about race. Um, and so, you know, I would interact with them a little bit online and, and some in private or in, in, in real life and stuff like that. And the responses that I was were getting were, were were just insane. I'll never forget the the one that made me want to do videos for the first time was somebody I I, I don't even remember the topic, but he responded to me with "You're just saying that because you're white privileged" or something like that. <laughs> and I and what was so confusing about it is I know this man knew that I was not white, <laughs> so it was a very interesting response. And so I I figured I got to figure out what's going on here. Like, what why is this? how this conversation goes again and again and again. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you have had conversations with certain people that they just go like a script. It's like they're operating on a, on a computer program. Yep. And so that's why I started. And I, I just would do a video every so often. I, I wasn't trying to be a YouTuber or anything. Um, but they started getting traction uh, as things progressed. And so I just kept doing them. And here we are three years later. Why'd you choose YouTube? What was it? Were you on Periscope back when Periscope was a thing there for a moment? No, no, I, okay. I, it was no. I, I chose YouTube. You know, I honestly don't really know exactly why, but but I used to watch a few YouTubers, um, you know, pretty regularly, um, and I used to be interested in like atheism and stuff like that, like that whole controversy. And then there was one YouTuber who kind of crossed the, the 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 gulf between you know atheism and skepticism, and then also some of this social justice stuff. Uh, I think his name was um, it was Sargon of Akkad. Oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, great, great guy. Before he got canceled, sadly, <laughs> right? Did yeah, he get canceled. Uh, he did on 
Twitter, I don't. I, yeah. We'd have to ask the guys. I, I haven't seen him on YouTube in a long time. So, so anyway, yeah. But but if if you if you remember his stuff, it's not. There's nothing flashy about it. It's like no. you know, he he has some he has some editing. I mean, he he hires people to do some editing for him. But but it's just him talking. You know what I mean? And so I just said, well, that's that's easy enough. I can just do that. Um, and so that's why I I probably did it on YouTube. Really, did not too much thought went into it because again, I wasn't trying to be a content producer. So. Um, I just did what I saw somebody else doing. And I felt like I could, that I could do, you know? Why do you think the issue of race stuck with you so much? You, so, you know, everyone's kind of got their thing that they're yeah. drawn to. I mean, um, yeah. I, don't, I don't honestly know why I got so stuck on sexuality, but I, I did. What, what, what do you think it was for you? You know, my, my father was really good in the sense that um, he, you know, I, I always knew that um, I was Puerto Rican, but I never had this sense of anything being like barred off for me. I, I, I never had that sense that we were somehow being oppressed and victims or anything like that. I found out later in life that, you know, he did encounter some racism in our church and, and things were handled in a very biblical way. You know, we had a guy who, my, my father ran for, uh, for Congress as a Republican in Connecticut against a very popular incumbent, a lady. And when he decided to do that, someone from our church you know, wrote him this racist letter about how dare you go, you know, go back to this kind of thing. Um, and nothing came of it. You know, the, the next day or the next week or so, he apologized to my father. My father said, nope, I mean, it's squashed, you know, okay, I forgive you, that kind of thing. And that's, that's as far as it went. So like, I never heard about that stuff until afterwards. And so when I got to college and stuff, then I started to hear a lot about how I was supposedly oppressed and, and all this kind of stuff. And I went to the University of Maryland. I'll never forget, I had one a teacher who was on loan from Howard University, a historically black college. And, and he was telling me that um, because I, I use English, that's, science, that's evidence of my oppression. And uh, he was dead serious about how oppressed I am because I, I speak English. And I you know, thought to myself, well, that's stupid because if that's oppression, then what's the big deal? <laughs> I'm speaking English, who cares? You know? So you know, I, started, I started hearing this stuff and, and all that. I never bought into any of it. And I kind of forgot about that after college because, you know, who cares? It, I, but then it started coming into Christian circles. And so for me, I, 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 I understood kind of intuitively that if you have this mentality that you're, you're, you're always a victim, that's poisonous to you. That, like, that there's nothing worse than that. In fact, that's what we try to teach our kids to not do because they naturally do that. I'm just a victim all the time. You know, I didn't get a big, as big a cookie as my brother. You know what I mean? Something like that. It must be some kind of an injustice. And so I just, I don't know. I just like, kind of like you, I just, I knew it was stupid on the face of it. And the more I, I questioned it, the more ridiculous pushback I got, like I mentioned. And so I knew I was onto something that that's kind of how it happened. I just, I knew that that had to be talked about more. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm super, I'm super thankful for it. And especially for the, uh, the victimhood stuff for me, the biggest thing that overcome was feeling sorry for myself being a victim right because i did grow up very poor and had all the excuses to blame other people for not succeeding in life but thankfully i became a christian and like one of the first things you learn as a christian is what david says against you and you alone have i sinned right like that idea of personal um, responsibility and ownership which is radical. And when that happens, you just start taking responsibility for yourself. And that, I think that's why social justice and some of the things that you're speaking against uh, is an adri- a direct attack on the gospel, right? Like it actually does undermine the entire message of the gospel. And it's not that we save ourselves, but that we at least own the fact that we need a savior. And that's what I've, I've really appreciated about your content and and the different, I've watched you, um, your repertoire of, of approaches. Like I like smooth 80, the glasses, like the sort of jazz music, you know, because, you know, um, I've watched AD with, uh, Star Trek or Star Wars references and stuff in yep, the background, yep. and then and then you go to. But I think it's it's good to have that sort of lightheadedness because this is it helps people understand where you're coming from. But folks, I mean, in the masculinity area, the problem we're dealing with is guys that just they feel so sorry for themselves, yeah, and they make excuses. We, we're going to turn to white knights here in a second, but if you're going to make a, a short argument, like here's because I always tell people that feminism is stupid. Like feminism is naturally ignorant. Like no, you, you have to be brainwashed by your mom uh, and set up for it by your professors. Like it's really, 
nuts. And I, I get the sense that social justice is kind of like backwards like that too. Yeah. If you're going to make a, a quick argument for social justice from a person that's like got ears to hear, how would you explain it? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, I do agree, Michael, that um, there's definitely an ignorance to it. I think, I think social justice is something I heard somebody describe it uh, as a designer belief, as, as, a, as a belief that you can only really buy into if you are well off enough to like to be stupid, essentially, um, because it doesn't work in the real world. Like it's it's not something that you can spend any time worrying about if you're worrying about how to feed your family, essentially. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. if you're if you're if you're busy doing actual stuff, actual real work, um, this is not something that'll ever occur to you. That that somehow your your skin color makes you guilty of some kind of a of a crime or some kind of a sin or something that you can't do anything about just because you were born a certain way and that kind of thing. Like that would never occur to someone who's, who's busy hunting for their next meal. Um, so first of all, you have to be rich enough to be ignorant. Um, the second thing is that, um, it's, 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 it's essentially a, a system that is designed to, 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 to see problems everywhere. So it doesn't matter what's happening. So, um, uh, uh, you know, one, one easy way to, to think about this is the oppression Olympics, right? So, you know, you think, well, you're oppressed. Now, let me just figure out how it is. Well, I'm black. Okay, that's one layer of oppression. Um, you know, I'm, I'm gay. That's another layer of oppression. So you, you're always trying to find the most oppressed situation of all time and that kind of thing. Um, and I would also say, you know, too, that um, there's, uh, there's definitely a... Uh, well, they got the oppression Olympics, and then, you, then you, yeah, then we, we've talked about this already. The kind of like the victim, the victim mentality. So everyone's a victim. We just got to figure out how you're a victim, mm-hmm. um, and essentially, you're a victim of the white man. Essentially, is what it is. So uh, it's terrible. just uh, <laughs> the white man is terrible, right? He's just the worst, man. He's the worst, <laughs> right? So, so I guess you know the the way that the way that I would kind of describe it in a nutshell is just look. It's just, it's it's a very lazy way to think about the differences, um, economic differences, wealth differences, you know, even health and physical differences between different ethnicities, um, at any given time, which is a very lazy way to think about it. And, and, and when I mean lazy, I mean, just call everything oppression. doesn't matter what it is. It's oppression. If someone's moving out of your neighborhood, that's oppression because it's white flight. Someone moving into the neighborhood, that's oppression because they're trying to gentrify it. Like it's just the, it's just like the laziest possible way to explain anything. (laughs) that you don't like it's like you started with the pre- premise that whoever the majority person with power who in this case yeah. tends to have lighter skin yeah. is, he's the bad guy yeah well yeah. There's a famous there's a famous author right now who's who's like the hottest thing uh on the market it's jamar tisby and what his major premise is is that racism never goes away it just changes form well if you start with that then you you've got a never ending problem that can't be solved because it just changes form. I mean does it if if it's no longer you're racist because you don't like black people well then you're racist for a different reason we just got to figure out what that reason is. Well and it's because they rethink the nature of of what it means to be a human right so in their their mindset it's you basically have oppressors and the oppressed and then allies and that's it right? Yep. That's how they divide all humans. So you're always you're either under someone's heel or you're the heel mm-hmm. or you're the person saying, stop stepping on them. Right. Something, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, that content's been really good. It's been helpful to me I, I, and it's been helpful to a lot of other people. You and what's his name? Neil um, Shin, Shinvi. Yeah. yeah. Are, are some of the guys that are kind of pressing that issue out there yeah. and, and moving it forward. And that's been helpful because it, it's um it's ran, it ran through the PCA in the SBC it, at a, it's kind of like, I, I remember I was watching this video in one of the Califi- California fires last year where mm-hmm. these people, they, they thought they could drive out of their neighborhood quick, but everything turned to flames all around them. And they're like driving their truck as quick yeah. as they can. I've seen and, that one. Yeah. Yeah. The fire is everywhere. Yeah. And they underestimated like just how powerful and how quick the fire was. And I, and I think that's the situation we're in right now with a lot of issues in particular, critical race theory and all, all I mean, these ideas are crazy yeah. and, and folks are like guys that are like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Like a week ago. Yeah. Now they're surrounded by fire and they're like, wait a second, this is a huge deal, but it spread through entire denominations at a speed yeah. that even the most cynical person wasn't prepared for. Yeah. Right. And we're watching. I people wasn't. 
I wasn't, and I'm pretty cynical about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's blown my mind because, you know, I was like, well, yeah, crit- feminism is the problem. And I actually think that critical race theory basically just stole all of its ideas from egalitarianism and feminism. It was a, it was a more tasty sort of poison, you know, yeah. a, better, a better sugar-coated uh, poison apple as a uh, MXPX yeah. would say. I think what we saw, we when, when we really saw this, you know, in earnest, how 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 widespread this was was after the George Floyd incident. So, the George Floyd incident, all of a sudden, I started seeing people that I was not expecting to say, "I can I can no longer sit by by this racism in our country." You know, <laughs> everyone was getting on Facebook doing that, and. Listen, that situation, I, I've said this many times on the video, it, it, it looked horrible. I mean, that seemed like a very unnecessary situation. Um, but even if I give it the worst case scenario from my perspective, like that guy wanted to go kill someone, I'm looking at these posts and I'm like, well, how does that dude know that that was race related, right? Like, sure, okay, right. he was kneeling on the dude's neck. But to, but to assume racism there means that you've bought a narrative that maybe you don't even know you're buying that you have no idea if it's true or not. And all of a sudden, everyone's saying that. Even the people that you know, were, were saying, well, I stand against, I've stand against the social justice movement this whole time, and, but now I can no longer. So it was like, you know, it's, it's, it's spread. It, we, we, we realized how far it spread, at, I think, during that whole situation. Absolutely. I mean, so kind of the precursor to it was Ferguson. Yeah. It was a pretty major moment in American history, I think. Sure, yeah, yeah. And then also, it was kind of like the facts didn't matter. Like, well, you know, yeah. that guy was a really scary dude, and he was reaching yeah. into the car, and he sh- he got shot because he was being an idiot, right. and uh, he shouldn't have done those things. That was a you know he'd been beating up a store clerk, like all that stuff's like really right. easy to look at. And well, none of that mattered, right? Because well, there's yeah. other there's other times. And see, the thing is, I grew up with black friends, and I can remember a time where we. Uh, where we all walked up to a part of town because my black friend wanted to fight this white guy and they were sleeping with the same girl or something. And uh, the cops come up and the white guy and my black friend are wrestling on the ground. He lets the white guy go and choke slams my black friend into the cruiser and arrests the black friend and lets the white guy go. So I I totally have seen a sort of bias and I'm not naive about this, but these folks what was interesting is like their emotions is all that mattered. Facts yeah. did not matter at all. And that, that really came out with the whole, the whole thing with um, Ferguson, but George Floyd, I mean, this guy was on what offend, uh, like yeah. he was like really charged up on drugs and a big sure. gigantic dude and porn star and all like all yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff and yeah i'm not saying he should die but like this is not this isn't what it seems to be and but it, it, there's a movement and they're willing to co-opt anything and it's not founded on truth i think is what matters most michael what you just did there was 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 amazing because you you anticipated the the program response because the program response is so you're saying he deserved to die because he was a porn star and you 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 preempted that because you probably had that conversation a number of times, and so you sure. knew automatically what to. This is why I got into this. Well, if you're around the church for long enough, what you're going to see is that there's a lot of people that don't follow the policies that are laid down in their bylaws or constitution or their books of church order, however they do it, and then folks that have unpopular ideas, not unconfessional or unbiblical ideas, are brought up on charges and forced out of churches, and sometimes yeah. even excommunicated. But the the principle of justice, of, of scriptural justice, where we have to have witnesses and people have, I mean, part of the problem with you know where it's an eye for an eye, when you go back to see what scripture is looking at, it's it's talking about how you can't be a vigilante, right? Sure. Bat, Batman doesn't have any place in biblical ethics. There's an actual process for this. There's right. a magistrate that has authority. and Or even in the church, we have church courts that do these things. But these are individuals yeah. that will destroy people's lives online. Yes. Yeah. And, and well, you've actually, had that. I, I, took, I, took this, I took this exact approach when I was talking about the George, George Floyd incident and the Ahmaud Arbery incident. I flipped the script and I said, well, it's actually the, the, the real lynch mob out here is, are the ones that are that are, you know, clamoring that, that this is like the racist cops out there doing, you know, their vigilante racist murders. That's the actual lynch mob. So you can't join that lynch mob because that's what it is. That's what it, that's that's the problem with the lynch mob is because right. it's not it's going outside of the bounds of 
justice and order and all this kind of stuff. It's just, it's a whole, it's a whole mob thing. That's the problem. And so it doesn't matter if you're a mob and you say you're for social justice, you're still a mob. That's still, that's still disordered. You know, that's still a sin. And that kind of gets us to the other issue we wanted to talk about. We thought you would be a good guy to talk about this with, which is when you're not dealing with the the mob, we've dealt with the feminist mob that's tried to cancel me or, um, and you've dealt with some of these people too. Sure. When you occasionally have a, t- a tweet go viral and like <laughs> everyone's hit on you, but you also deal with the, the so-called allies which take the form of what we call white knights. And uh, Nan, could you, you wrote an article recently on the psychology of white knights. Maybe could you just give us just a, a, a quick overview on what a white knight is and, and just a few introductory ideas there? Basically, a white knight is generally overlaps with the concept of a nice guy who often are not as nice as you would think. And yeah. a nice guy or a white knight is the kind of man who ultimately is looking for approval from women. So he's, he's getting his affirmation, his self-worth from what women say about him rather than from what God has to say about him, uh, what his own conscience has to say about him, anything like that. And my theory is that the, the white knight mentality is a kind of arrested development and that it happens either when a man, well, it happens when a man fails to detach from the maternal world in some way. So when he's a child, his mother is naturally um, where he gets his comfort and his solace and so on. And he fails to detach from that in some way. And it's usually because there's a weak or an absent father or there's, or maybe, and, or there is an overbearing or needy mother. And that can lead to two opposite extremes. So either he can fail to launch because he's just kind of kept back in that world, or he is forced to launch too early because he's forced to take on the role of the man before he's actually a man. And because of the fact that he is still so attached to his mother, he starts to see everything, all the responsibility of the world in terms of just kind of providing for his mother and and making sure she's okay and protecting her and dealing with her problems. A a deep impulse for them is to, to, to present themselves as a hero, right? Of those that they determine are under threat, under attack, but often they're coming to people that, that aren't under attack, that, that their people are, you know, what we may, might call cry bullies, people that pretend to be under attack to, to get uh, sympathy. But these guys, I mean, these guys uh, harass, I don't, I'm not, I'm real slow to block, but I block white knights like on the second comment. I'm just like, okay, I got other things to do, man. Um, I get it. You're, you're a nicer guy than me. But these guys, when we're trying to have these conversations, they are always trying to stop the conversations from going forward. And, and, and they're actually hurting. They're, they're basically the guys that mock prophets, mock truth tellers. I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. I mean, Adam, how, how do you, have you dealt with these guys and what form does it take in yeah. your sort of media? Uh, definitely, definitely. And, and let, me, let me just kind of, let me reference a video that I, 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 did a, I did a YouTube video about this and it was with uh, J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. And he was talking to two black people. It was one black lady and one black guy. And they were talking about the reactions that you get from uh, w- when one of these like in- incidents happens with a police officer and stuff like that. And the, and the black man is, he makes this very bizarre point where he's saying how, you know how like you're talking to your wife and like, you know, she's over here like in this emotional kind of state because she's a woman, of course, and you're trying to lawyer her over here. And like, you gotta, you gotta figure out a way to sort of, you know, communicate because she's, she's not going to, it's not going to be good to lawyer her to death. Um, and, and, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm with you on that. And then he starts to talk about how that's how black people are during these racial since incidents, almost putting black people, not almost exactly putting black people as a whole in the position of the woman in a marriage relationship where they're just emotional. And so don't be bringing justice into this right now. It was so weird. It was so weird. And what we find with, what I find with white knight behavior, it, it, when I read that art, article, Nan, it was like, man, you could have just replaced everything feminist in that article with social justice, you know, where it would have been the same article. 
because in that moment, JD Greer, he wasn't the one who said this, but he was right there. Oh yeah, sure. It sounds great. You know, like that kind of thing, like white knighting for black people. I've come across this exact behavior and it, I, I've even done videos where I said, you know, you know, guys stop worshiping black people. You know what I mean? Like, let's get over this. You know, you're actually hurting black people when you do that kind of stuff for them. But I don't know. Like, yes, I have come across it. And the overlap is a little bit weirder than you might think. <laughs> Makes sense to me. I mean, my theory has yeah. always been that basically what happened is a lot of white pastors grew up in white suburbs and they never knew anyone that looked different than them. Yeah. And then they go to college and they meet some black liberal guy. And they think, oh, he's black. All black people think the same way. He's liberal. Therefore, blacks are liberal. And I'm like, wait a second. They're not, they're not the Borg. They're not like hive animals. They have their own mind. And, and, and these guys, their problem is that they actually don't understand that black people are like white people or like Latino people or they're people. They have a sin nature. They have a human nature. They're not that distinct. And it's the same thing with the white knights where I have to convince them like, Hey, women aren't angels. Women are sinners too. Women do absolutely horrible, terrible things. And women can be saved uh, by the same grace that you've been saved by. And you guys hold these people up like they're um, for the white people. I think they look at black people are more childlike and more pure almost like a white man's burden looking at a tribe. And then for men, they look at women as angelic and more pure. But in the end, it's the same deal, right? That's right. Well, and and the thing is, it's and when I was reading the article, and I think you mentioned this, Nan, as well, it's like the instinct to protect women is actually good. It's not like a terrible instinct. But when 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 you've kind of like fetishize them so much to the point where they can do no wrong or they have, they almost don't even have a sin nature, at least any, any practical way, then it gets all jacked up and twisted up because here's the thing. Like the Bible says a lot about, um, you know, being on the side of the oppressed, you know, taking up the cause of the oppressed, speaking for the oppressed. So that's a good instinct. But the thing is though, that if you start to think that that oppressed class that the Bible's talking about can do no wrong and like God's just on the side of the oppressed, no matter how wicked they are, that's not correct at all. That's, that's not what he's talking about when he says he's on the side of the oppressed. And so you, you can't, you can't I, I guess, fetishize them is almost the exact word, worship them, whatever it is, to such a degree where you, you actually, you kind of like, you kind of take out their humanity almost a little bit. Like you said, almost like infantilize them, infant, infantile, whatever, you, whatever that what word is, um, infantilize them. You can't do that kind of stuff. Also, let me just say this too. This is just a thought that I had off the top of my head, so maybe I'll get in trouble for this. But um, I don't know about you, but when I see the media push, um, like, like present black men, oftentimes they, they present like a very effeminate black man. Like sometimes they're actually literally wearing dresses. Um, that's a media trope that I wonder if there's something to that. You know, well, go Google Dave Chappelle on that. Yeah, go go watch Dave Chappelle's YouTube on black men in dresses and Jamie Foxx, Martin, mm-hmm. Martin Lawrence, all of them. Yeah, they always they always want to weaken black men. Yeah, and they, uh, you know, there's very there's very few strong black men that are consistently yeah. that way in media. Like Avery Brooks would be an exception. Deep, Deep Space Nine, and I think he was in a right. pop show. Yeah, back yeah, in the he day. was. Yeah, he was great. Avery Brooks has mad frame. Have you seen Captains, the documentary that William Shatner did? Of all the I did. Stuff? That was a great documentary. That was really good. And Avery Brooks, like William Shatner has frame, but Avery Brooks just totally puts him off. He, he doesn't know what to say. He's sitting there just playing jazz on his piano while Shatner is trying to interview him yeah. and giving these crazy answers like he might well have been high. And Shatner's <laughs> just doesn't know what to do. It's hilarious. Yeah. He's my favorite. Look, I, I, I grew up with a bunch of Trekkies and uh, Avery Brooks is my favorite. He's like my captain. Like I, I choose him over Shatner and all of them, um, certainly over Janeway. But, um, uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, but I think like, you know, and, 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 you know, when I'm talking about this whole idea of like thinking that black, black men, you know, when there's these racial incidents that happen, they, like you need to treat them the way you would treat your wife or the way you would treat a child. Um, I'm not sure exactly why they want that, but, but I want to encourage all white people to don't definitely don't do that. Like you can talk straight to a black guy. It's not going to, he's not, it's not going to hurt his feelings. And if it does, he, maybe he needs that a little bit. 
You know yeah. what I mean? Like exactly. I, it's, it's, there it's is a like, strange religious yeah. tribalism to it where it's a lot like when you're talking to homosexuals, you always feel like you're walking on eggshells because you don't know how they're going to respond. They've got this reputation yeah. for being really kind of volatile and, and you don't know what's going to happen and you have to choose your words really carefully. And I think there's the same perception with both black people and women. Yeah. Okay, so let's go. Let's keep pushing this issue a little bit. There's another issue that comes up. So we are you speak on critical race theory primarily on those race issues. That's like one area that you've hit. You hit other things, but that's a big area. We we kind of speak to the sexuality, feminism stuff. And there's a lot of overlap in that we have a lot of detractors, and and a big group of those detractors are white knights. But their biggest complaint, I think is our tone and our rhetoric. Yeah. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, well, you know, I've gotten a lot of that. I've gotten a lot of that. And um, here's what I think about that. So I think that it's, a, it's just a, a distraction. It's a distractionary tactic. Because I, what I've noticed over the three years I've been doing this is that um, you can actually get someone talking to you in a very aggressive, very condescending, very mocking tone about your tone. And so clearly they actually don't have a problem with the tone. They, they often say things like this. It's not what you're saying. It's just how you're saying it or how, how you come across or how you're perceived. That's a very popular thing to say to, to someone like me or probably someone like you as well. Um, and I just, at this point, after three years of hearing that, I just don't believe it. I believe that that's just a weaselly tactic to get you to stop saying the things that you're saying. Um, now, all that to say, uh, I understand that I intentionally will uh, take an aggressive tone sometimes or a certain tone with people. I understand that that's definitely something that I've done and will do. Um, but I think that more often than not, that criticism is just a distraction. It's just a tactic. Well, what are your thoughts, Don? You're not American. Is To some degree, he's right. There, there is a very cynical upper echelon, you could say, of people who do use tone specifically to shut you down, knowing perfectly well that they're quite happy to use tone in the same way that you use it. But there are also a large group of people who are just so feminized, people who have become so uh, conditioned into a feminine way of thinking where it's really not a question of what is the moral import of the statement? Uh, what is the truth or the falsity of the statement? It's a question of how does this statement make me feel and how does it affect the social hierarchy that I'm in? And yeah. those kinds of people do genuinely get affected by tone in a way which I, I have sympathy for. I don't want to sound like I'm that sympathetic because I'm not, but they have been conditioned into it. And yeah. I think that there's a difference between those people and the, the cynical elites where a lot of the people who are, legitimately concerned can be turned that you can reason with them and you can say, well, what do you think of all these examples in scripture? That's, that's my standard recourse. Now, if it's, if it's not a Christian I'm talking to, I'm not, I'm not really worried, but if it's a Christian and I want to reason with them, the first thing I say is, well, what does God say? Because it's not a question of whether you think my tone is bad. It's a question of whether God thinks my tone is bad. And so let's see, let's compare my tone to God's tone and, see how it comes out. And if they are willing to go to God's word, then I know that I'm probably dealing with someone who's actually regenerate and it may take a while to turn that ship, but they're likely to come along. Um, they might not be very happy with it. I've, I've met some people who are just kind of either constitutionally or conditioned into it or both. They, they kind of can't bring themselves to get there themselves. And I know that the way that I talk makes them uncomfortable but they also know that they can't condemn it from scripture. And so they, they'll even defend me at times. Usually they just stay quiet about it. But if I'm being attacked on it, they'll say, you know, yeah, he has a point. You can find this language in scripture. And I wouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> That's always the, the standard hedge. I wouldn't have said it that way, but I think that he, sh he's allowed to. Yeah. Why are you so yeah. mean, Adam? What's your problem? Are you just angry or yeah. where does it come from? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, I've, I've actually fielded that question before. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you had, <laughs> but, um, no, you know, I, 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 here's the thing, man. I, you know, what I, what I typically do when I'm talking to someone that I, that I, I get the impression that they, they, cause, cause Nan's right. There are some people that actually do have legitimate concerns. Um, and I, 
I'm not the kind of person that treats everyone in the same way. You know, I, when you look at Jesus and how he talked to the woman at the well, it was very different than the way he talked to the Pharisees at the market sure. kind of thing. It was yeah. just very Treating people in exactly the same way is exactly right. the problem that we have with people like white knights and social justice. Right. There's a level of mirroring that's happening. Yeah. That's exactly where I'm going with this. Because, so what I'll do with people like that, that have a legitimate concern is I'll start with, okay. Cause oftentimes when someone that w- wants to criticize your tone, they'll start off with, man, brother, I agree with everything you're saying. I agree. I, I agree. It's very dangerous. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. And I was like, okay, great, great. So you, you agree that social justice or whatever I'm talking about at the time is an extremely dangerous doctrine that's spreading like wildfire in the Christian church, that it's intended to divide the church and it's working in very many places and it's uh, attacks right at the heart of the gospel and all this. You agree with all of that. And so you have a problem with me aggressively saying that that's bad. And so that's the kind of thing like, if you, if, you, if you agree with all of this stuff, then let's go to the scripture and, and look at the way that, like you said, Nan, the way that God and the way that the apostles dealt with things that they thought were extremely serious issues. Because if I'm going flamethrower all the time at, at the most minor thing, then you might have a point. You know what I mean? You might have a really valid point. I might want to examine myself because I'm never the kind of person that says nobody should examine their tone. Of course you should. The Bible talks about our tone being useful to use. Like, like it says that, um, you know, the, if, you, if you talk in a certain way, you'll be more convincing. You know well, I mean? kind, uh, a speech. gentle word turns away wrath, right? Right, right. Gentle yeah. word turns away wrath, sweetness of speech, increases persuasiveness, Absolutely, stuff yeah. like that. So we, we, we should consider all of those things. But what, what I get oftentimes is, you know, from people that, that like, like Nan said, they just have a one-size-fits-all tone to everything. You end up talking, speaking like Spock all the time. So if someone's trying to, like, hurt your family or your friends, and you're like, well, that's just not logical. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, right. That's, that's, in, that's totally inappropriate. Like, oftentimes you'll say, well, is that Christ-like? And I'll say, well, it is depending on the circumstance. So, are you being Christ-like if somebody's trying to break into your house and you're not um, doing what you can to protect your kids or your wife? You're not, you're, you're not aggressively, you know, you know, getting back, uh, I'm sorry, um, clapping back at them at the marketplace when they think they've zinged you. Like the thing is, if we're going to follow Christ's example, we, we need to follow the whole example. And he expressed in a perfect way, a range of emotion. And so we can't be like Spock because that's definitely not Christ-like. And when I grew up as a Christian, I got the impression that almost that that's kind of what Christ was like, was almost like this, like alien, like this, like this, like this, like this robot. Mm. That's the impression that I got. And that's just not the case at all. It's monotonous. And what happens is they, they take, so tone is a tool, right? Like when I'm, when I'm like trying to calm my kids, I'm like, Shh, it's okay. You're going to be all right. When they're running out the road to grab a ball and a car is coming, stop, right? You scream. Right. You right. like, so using your tone properly is having the discernment to appropriately fit it to the situation. And the problem with these guys is that they don't love people like we do. That's what they don't understand is that they're not the lovers that we are. And they think we're the fighters, and but it's actually yeah. uh, we fight because we love, because we actually understand that these are doctrines of demons. These are things that hurt people and destroy people. And what's and and, and to be fair, there's people out there that do get off on being heresy hunters and and like an unending discernment ministry or whatever. These folks though, they they can't conceive of that. They just think everyone here is like angry. And I'm right. like, look, man, that's your import. I'm not angry. Like, I hate the sin, but we actually, we're trying to warn people for the sake of their souls. Don't you love these people? Right. You know, well, it's actually them- really hard for them to hear as well because they've got a dual problem. The first is that they tend to think of themselves as very loving because they're all about the harmony and the social right. uh, hegemony. And the second is that they also tend to think of themselves, the men, obviously, in particular, tend to think of themselves, the white knights have this hero complex where they're always out to save the woman and they, they're coming to you because they're, out, they're you know, wanting to prevent you from causing this trouble and so on. And so they see themselves as a fighter in this very womanly sense. It's really bizarre and it's hard to break through the understanding, uh, how to get that understanding into their head that what they're doing isn't 
really fighting. They're just kind of being a tool. Yeah. Let me say something too, because this is another thing that I've noticed when I've talked to people. Because actually, any person who's ever wanted, any person who's ever had a problem with something that I've said that was willing to pick up the phone and call me, I've given my phone number to and, and was ha- willing to have a conversation. And what I tend to find, not, this is not always the case, but what I tend to find is they typically have some kind of a personal connection with whoever it was that I was arguing with or doing a video on. And so what I'll, what I'll often say to them is, look, man, I, I get why you, what you're saying. Because when, when somebody comes at me or someone, one of my friends, I tend to, to read into the words a certain style of communication. Malice or whatever. Yeah. A certain malice or something. I tend to do that myself. And so I can understand you know, why you might do the same with me. Um, but I agree with you, Michael, that, that people get this idea that I just like, I, I, I hate all these people that I'm talking about. And, you know, if you, you watch, you watch some of my earlier content, so you know, it's probably pretty liberal with heaping praise on the people that I was about to criticize. Yeah. Um, yeah. You I were, would, I, you know, I didn't, I don't do that quite as much anymore, but I, I still, it's not like I hate Matt Chandler or I hate these guys. Like, I just want them to stop saying things that are so wrong and so evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's all I want. I just, I, I don't have any ill will towards people. I mean, there's even people that have, I have personal conflicts with that. I don't have ill will towards them. I just want them to stop doing what they're doing. And that's, that's really it. And so I think that we should all kind of take, I know that I need to take responsibility for myself reading malice into words, especially when it's geared, when it's directed at me or someone that I really like. Because I see that that happens all the time with other people. And so that's probably, you know, use a law of projection. That's probably what I'm doing more often than not as well. So um, that's something that's a white knight special. <laughs> white <laughs> you know knight I mean? fragility, man, is what we call it. White knight right, fragility. Right. Well, I had a good friend. Um, so I kind of, I've been on a, um, you know, I've been, <laughs> even non told me I was a little off my meds. But I was pressing hard on this whole election thing about Trump because I really think my religious liberties are at stake. Um, I'm not a big MAGA guy, uh, but I am a big, I'd like to have church without a mask in a building and be able to say whatever I want from scripture (laughs) sort of guy. Um, And I was going on it really hard. And a friend of mine thought what he heard was he grew up in a fundamentalist church. He heard kind of 1980s moral majority simplistic way at looking at sure. it and then we talked and i said well here's how i'm coming at it and i explained to him a very reformed view of it and and we were cool and i find that a lot of, a lot of people when they they tell me my, my tone's off and everything we finally talk and usually they're almost perplexed because one i'm not angry yeah. um two uh i i've actually thought about it quite a bit more than they have like you know what 95 out of 100 times i don't know like i don't want to say it's like one out of 100 but it's it's not much more than that right like they just stumbled upon my feed and they i had a conversation with a guy just the other day michael that was very upset about i forget what it was but something that i said and he said and he said the problem with uad is just that you're always angry and you're always you know this and that and i said and i just asked him i said okay can i just ask you a question i'm not trying to like make you feel bad but like what like i've i've put out like 700 videos what like how many have you seen and and invariably the answer is less than 10 you know what i mean and and so i said do you you really think it's fair that you know you're gonna say that i'm always angry seeing less than one percent or not not less than one percent but you know very little of my videos and well they say well yeah but every single one of them i saw was angry and I, i i thought about that and i i'm thinking to myself you know well there's a good chance that the ones that kind of trip the algorithm or whatever are the ones that get more engagement, the ones that get, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little bit more, there's a little more spice to them. You know what I mean? And so maybe it's not necessarily like all their fault that they're thinking I'm always angry. Maybe Twitter or YouTube, the way it works is that certain things get more play. I mean, when you get, when you trigger a, a certain, you know, triggered, you know that those tweets will go viral pretty quickly. And it's usually, you know, the more spicier takes, whatever. So if somebody's only seeing those tweets, you know what I mean? They, mm-hmm. they could get an impression that's somewhat justified based on what they've seen. Now, of course, it's not justified based in reality. But um, I need to like 
I've personally tried to be a little bit more patient with people that have a certain impression of me because I'm thinking, you know, maybe this algorithm actually is not helping that situation so much. I, I think you're right. Like yeah. 10, I could do 10 videos and like two of them are like aggressive and spicy. And then the other eight, you know, are various tones of, you know, whatever. And they don't see those, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, some people say that I'm just in this for the money. And I, and I always tell them like, if, if that's true, like I'm, the stupidest person alive because every, every video that I do that has a famous person's name in it, which is not that it's not a big percentage of what I do. Um, they get a lot of traction and I just, for some reason, I just have not turned into the heresy hunting. I'm going to take down every big celebrity website. So, uh, if, if that's what my goal was, I'm a complete idiot because I'm not doing it. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Well, I mean the AdSense revenue, they, they've changed all that, um, on yeah. Google, uh, on YouTube in particular, it's not, it's not very good. And even on yeah. Patreon, you know, um, the amount of effort it takes to create good content and to manage yeah. it is, is pretty significant. Um, more than people I think realize where, where I'm very thankful for patrons. I'm sure you are or patrons. I'm sure you are as well. Um, yes. at the, at the end of the day, it is, it, it's hard work and there's an easier way to make that money. Certainly not the stress sure. that it induces, you know, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'll tell you one thing that I've learned and I, and I'd be curious to have your thoughts and Nan's thoughts on this because I think you, uh, you, we run the spectrum here just based on what I've watched in writing. I've basically got rid of all my sarcasm online. I've just decided I can't be sarcastic. People are too stupid. They just, <laughs> they literally, every, the, all people are like Drax the Destroyer from Guardians of the Galaxy. They like treat all metaphors and all figurative language as literal. And Nothing goes over my head. That's exactly fast. <laughs> and so I found just I can't – I've had to kill the sarcastic nature. And when I did that, my, my Twitter exploded where I just started to be really blunt and straightforward. Um, when it comes to figurative language, in particular the sardonic, sarcastic side, uh, what do you guys think on that, both of you all? Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm thinking about eliminating my sarcasm so that my Twitter grows. But, it works, uh, <laughs> man. It works. <laughs> yeah, you know, I um, I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, 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 I have been sarcastic on Twitter. I think I, I think I, I, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm regularly sarcastic, but I, I definitely think it's a, it's a valuable tool in the toolbox. Um, but the thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm not like, when it comes to rhetoric and language, I'm not like, um, you know opposed to, to eliminating something or adding something if it works, you know what I mean? If it, if it's godly and it works, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I think that you can see in the Bible, there is sarcasm there at, at, at times it's employed. Um, and you know, I want to, I want to, I want to use every tool in my tool belt. And I always say that I always say, look, you know, the prophets were sarcastic, you know, this and that. And people always say, tell me, well, you're, you're not a prophet. You know, <laughs> you're, you're not Jesus, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah, I know. And I'm not saying I'm doing it perfectly, but at the end of the day, if they're, if, if the prophets are using it, Jesus is using it, I'm going to, I'm going to try it out. I'm going to see if I can use this to the glory of God. So for me, like I'll use sarcasm if I think it's appropriate. I try to, like, I, I try to pick my, my, my targets wisely. Again, you know, looking at Jesus, he's, he's not speaking to little old ladies, like in certain ways, you know what I mean? Um, and, um, that's kind of how I, I, I try to just use whatever fits the the occasion, whatever fits the situation. Now, what do you think? I'm pretty much on the same place that AD is on. I have been using sarcasm less lately, partly because of what you have said about it. And I think that it is, especially in the modern day where zingers are not considered something that sort of socially acceptable, like in Jesus time and the prophet's time, you'd, you'd have some kind of little tit for tat in the marketplace and people be gathering around like, Oh yeah, he got him really good. And, but on Twitter, I think that that tends to not translate that well. And it is really easy for people to look at something that you've said and just say, Oh, look how angry he is all the time. It's always just sarcasm, sarcasm. Right. So I do try to limit the sarcasm, but sometimes the best way to say something and the funniest way to say something just is sarcastic because there's just like a perfect comeback for it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then right, you just right. use it. I mean, there's no doubt that Paul uses it. 
Right. In particular, yeah, in sure. first and second Corinthians and Galatians, where he's dealing with where his apostolic ministry is under attack, where he's like, Oh, right. talking about super apostles and you would have ripped out your eyes for me. You know, all that sort of stuff is very charged, personal, sarcastic rhetoric that he's using. And so I, I think I just lament that we can't have these talks that where you can't talk this way where I was growing up. We talked about this off air before yeah. this, but we all used to insult each other and it didn't mean anything. And it's the feminization of discourse. Yeah. Whereas with guys like, uh, it's like women compliment each other and they don't mean it. Guys insult each other and we don't mean it. Yeah. We, like it's just a way of of communicating things. It's like trying to figure a guy out. Like where is he at? Where are we at in this yeah. conversation? Like is this? Are we friends? Can we like yeah. hit each other a little bit and we're still That's cool? Right. Or is this is this real? Are we really fighting? Yeah. And if folks don't understand, like when you're like insulting someone, like I I like to I can think of like good insults. Like I wish you would eat makeup so you could at least be pretty on the inside. I like that. That's a good insult. You know, like there's good insults where you respect other guys where you're just trying to up your game. And it, and when you're fighting, even a good insult will make two men stop, laugh at each other. And it, it's really yeah. hard for folks that were, I guess, just grew up weak at the edge of their mama's dress their whole life yeah. to understand like, Hey man, I'm, I'm playing dude. We're not fighting. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm 37 years old, and I know that when I was a kid, I knew there were definitely some kids that their parents, you know, coddled them to such a degree that I could not do, I could not say the things I would say to my brother to that person, and I just kind of knew that intuitively. There were some I've had relationships where if somebody stopped insulting me, I'd wonder if there was something wrong. Like, did I do something? Like, are, are we are we in a fight? You know, now that you stopped insulting, are you are you angry? Are you at? You know, you Why know. are you being so nice, man? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can relate to that. Yeah, it's a really brittle time, and I, I think uh, it, it kind of breaks my heart that these guys don't under they don't they don't know the blessings of of masculine fellowship. Yeah, you know, like I just think back to my friends and how, like with my kids, I tease my kids. And a mom has to under my boys in particular, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Athanasius, my second born, he couldn't ever, he couldn't take it. He took everything so serious. So I doubled down because I had to break him of that because sure, I yeah. need him to understand so he can be welcome into the world of men that I'm your dad. I love you. You right. are my legacy, son. I'm not against you. If you can't take this from me, what are you going to do with someone that we, that you don't know that loves you? Like you got to learn how to take these things. And on Twitter, you just push back a little bit. Then you have to put like a, like a little smiley face. I always feel gay when I do that. I do me too. And I do it all the time for that. But I, I just do it because I'm like, uh, this, I, this guy is going to think I'm, yeah, he can't read me. So, He's going to think my period, my, 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 my period uh, uh, question mark, whatever, is too abrupt. My exclamation right. point or right. my, my question mark on my period so is too abrupt. So I got to so, put a smiley face yeah, in the yeah. end. <laughs> Winky smiley face. Wink. <laughs> wink. Yeah. It's so Guys, sweet. it's gotten so bad that I've got clients that I know that I need to do that with, like in business oh, emails. Oh, man. I, get, I actually got, an emo <laughs> I got a several emojis in a um, business email. And I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, here we go. This is the nature this is the of the new. This is how I have to talk to you now, I guess. <laughs> Don, any closing thoughts before we tie it up here? I like to take it a step further. I like to everyone who says something mean about me on Twitter. I like to like their comment. Yeah. So when someone says how, how gay I am or how bad my wife must be, or, you know, how, how hard her life must be, how she needs to get under my thumb and, how small my dick is, all that kind of stuff. Oh, I just fun. click like on it. I think it does me good. <laughs> just for today. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of uh, Twitter tactics that you can use like that. My favorite thing to do yeah, is man. when people send me nasty messages is to see if I can make them like me. Where they're like, I hope you die and go to hell. <laughs> I say, hey, I really appreciate your feedback. I hope you have a great Sunday. 
And then they'll like message me back. You would say that. Like, yeah, I see that, man. I mean it for real. Have a good day. Um, <laughs> you know, well, I just don't think the way you talk about things are right. Like, well, I understand where you're coming from. That's cool. You know, okay. Uh, well, thanks for talking. You know, it's just like, to me, it's just, it's just to me, it's, it a step further. I, it's just fun. Yeah, it's good. It's just Keeping fun to see where they go. Well, it's just like these guys, um, these guys don't know, like, we have the joy of the Lord. Yeah, that's right. He is our yeah, strength. They, they criticize us for being angry because they're projecting. They're yeah. always angry and they don't know what, it, what it's like to fight without being angry. No, it's, you know, I, I found that I like having like actual conversations, you know, like phone calls and stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I found that like on some, most of the time I don't have to say anything. I just say, Hey man, you know, thanks. Thanks for being willing to talk to me. You know, why don't you go first since you're the one who had a problem. And oftentimes what will happen, it's just amazing. They'll, they'll instantly apologize to me, even though they didn't, I don't think they did anything wrong. And they'll say, well, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I kind of read into this or I kind of did this or I kind of assumed you're coming from a bad place. So I'm, I'm glad to hear. It's just amazing. Like once you just kind of like open that door a little bit, I don't hate you. You can call me up. Here's my office number. It almost like just some, that's almost like a statement in itself to some of these guys. And they'll just start off and they'll apologize. And I'm, I'm like, well, dude, why are you apologizing? You didn't do anything to me. You know? See, the cynical <laughs> side of me says that they're just doing their standard feminine conditioning where any kind of in person confrontation is too yeah. hard. And so they'll just go for the, the harmony play. Yeah. May, maybe you might be right. I, I'm not saying why they're doing it, but it's just amazing how often that's been yeah. the case that someone will, 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 will actually, you should, you should see the thing call me, you if know? they apologize to you say, dude, don't roll over and show me a belly. You had a problem. What was it? <laughs> we, <laughs> that's, that's almost too, that's almost too harsh. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. Non. <laughs> Smiley face, wink. Um, yeah, I need a few winkies first before I can do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think um, we can't give up social media. Yeah, this is how this thing. If you look at the election, the election was won on social media. It was won on propaganda, and yeah. and 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 critical race theory didn't spread because of books. Right, people don't read books. What are we talking about here? I, I know I try to get people to read books. Like yeah. most people don't. It's spread through social media, it's spread through Instagram, it's spread through YouTube, whatever. We can't give these things up, but we're gonna have to like go out there and you make mistakes and you're like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And like, yeah. I'm sorry, I repent, and you move on. And other people want you to say, like, oh, you made a mistake. Now you can't ever be on Twitter again. Like that's not <laughs> I've gotten that. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works. No, like we tried that one on me. Who did? The BD Anya Bwile. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, he tried that one on me the other day. He should repent of his heresies, many, many heresies, you know. Um, but uh, <clears throat> how's that? How's you that? You take some time off. You need to take some time off because this one yeah. wrong thing you did. I, now, yeah. thanks, thanks for your input on that. I'm not going to tell my, my enemies aren't going to tell me what I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's like, come on. You need to go. You need to leave the front line now so you can stop shooting at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stop it. You missed shot that one time. So now get to the back. <laughs> Yeah, we just have to have we have to correct as we go. I was just, I mean, and the reality is, um, social media is not going anywhere. That's right. And and these ideas aren't. And these are we have to find ways to. I mean, I got involved in Twitter, and Twitter is um, so reductive, right? Yep. Like you do have to like it's really hard. And then you every once in a while I do these like (laughs) I'll do like these twenty tweet threads yeah and they're so stupid like i'm like what am i doing this is like a whole article (laughs) i wrote that i made into a thread on twitter um and 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 non and non like i always tell non that uh that twitter why i'm so much better at twitter than he is because i've accepted that it's retarded haiku yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what you I have to accept it. I I'm was still trying to, to sound intelligent on Twitter. I know, and I'm like, <laughs> yes. be man, yeah. man, good, God like man. <laughs> almost, <laughs> like, almost <tweet>. everything, <laughs> almost everything I do on Twitter, like I'm almost ashamed to do it. It's like this is so stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it, but it's it's still valuable though. It still it still has value, and yep. you know, there's so much I hate about Twitter, but I'm not going to complain about it because it's still useful for many things. So. Uh, when it stops becoming useful, then I'll abandon it. But for right now, it's it's not the case. Yep, right now it's way better than Parlor. That's for sure. Yeah, Take yeah. That conservatives. 
Well, look, man, we really appreciate having you um, and we appreciate your work. Where can people find out more about you? How can they contribute to the cause? How, they, how can they be there? Yeah, man. To you? Well, here's, here's what I'm doing. You know, go to adrobles.com and uh, sign up for my newsletter. And there you'll also find my P.O. box. And what, the reason I'm doing this is because um, just in case, because of the insanity of everything that's happening, I don't think I'm going to be banned from these platforms, but just in case... Um, I'll have a kind of a direct way to get in touch with people. So go to 80robles.com and you can get my newsletter, which comes out normally once or twice a week. It's not a set schedule. Um, you can also write me a real letter, P.O. Box, man. That's I'm all about that kind of stuff, going analog. Matt, Michael, you were talking about some of that. Yeah, you have to well. go analog. Yep, I you have so. to go analog as well, not, not abandoning the digital stuff. But yep. um, So I got a P.O. Box and also um, my YouTube channel, AD Robles. Awesome. Well, we always appreciate it. And guys, until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Hey.